In this episode, we're going to learn what it takes to own and operate an organic, woman-owned brewery. Hi, it's Paul Ward, and welcome, friends, to Farm Talk. I'm very excited today. We are in Fillmore, California, and we're talking to Kim Rice with Sage Brews. Kim, welcome to Farm Talk. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We are in the heart of Ventura County, and uh, we've got a, a, a working hops yard behind us. And you can probably hear some roosters and chickens off in the distance. And uh, I'm sure they're going to be squawking uh, the entire time that we're talking, but it is a, a working farm. So Kim wanted to talk to you for several reasons today. You are a lady brewmaster. You make organic beer, mm-hmm. and it's regenerative. And you're branching out into new, into new markets. So you've got a lot, a lot going on. How did you become a, a brewmaster? I was working in film for 10 plus years in LA. And then on a hiatus once, I had worked at Sage, which is a small chain of vegan restaurants in Los Angeles. Worked there their first week open. Left a couple months later, but stayed friends with the owners, Molly and Mimi, and came back years later. While I was there, I was interested in beer always. And craft beer was like exploding at that time. And I thought there was like a lot of really big excitement around it and interesting science and stuff. So I I met somebody there who was Molly's brother-in-law. We started brewing together because I had a little one-gallon kit I was too afraid to use by myself. And then he was like, I have a five-gallon kit. So we started brewing on that and then quickly started brewing at Molly's house on Mondays because she knew she wanted to open a brewery eventually. Um, and it took us a couple years to get the brewery open. And so, uh, we had lots of practice for our home brews to get into pro brewing. Um, but you know, it was still a, a big jump start into it and there was a lot to learn and still is. So, yeah. Uh-huh. And now you are all over Southern California and making organic beer with different locally sourced fruits. Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, we're mostly based in L.A. We're getting a little further out here and there. Um, and we just got picked up by distri- some distribution for Scout Distribution. So hopefully we'll reach a little further. But uh, up until recently, we've mostly focused on making beer for our restaurants. And part of that was, you know, Molly had started these restaurants that were focused on farm to table. She wanted to have locally sourced ingredients, organic ingredients. And then when the brewery came about, we opened that. We realized that was a little trickier in right. some ways um, because we don't have a malt house um, and we did not at the time have a hop yard. So it presented some challenges, but I think those restrictions actually gave us some really cool outcomes. And part of that was starting the hop yard that you see behind us at the farm. We have an acre and a half hop yard um, and finding a really incredible maltster up in Alameda who we can source locally from. And it's all California grown malt. Uh-huh. And I would, I would think that you're one of the few uh, beers that actually is growing your own hops and then the, the beer makers actually come out and help with the harvest. Yeah, for sure. So certainly and that's something 100% keeps me constantly intrigued about it. Like I really, I love beer and I love the science behind it. Um, but I, like I said, I came from a different background. I have degrees in something totally different right. and then found beer. And it's like this really beautiful mix of science and art together and it's a tangible product whereas a lot of times when I was writing for film stuff I'd just like put it on a shelf for a minute you know and not really see those results right away with beer you get a result right away right away and you got to talk to people about it and it really brings people together and brings in this um, sense of community and then with the way that we do things that is very different than a lot of other breweries 
I actually get to see the ingredients from the ground up, which is really incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and have like a strong connection to the beer, I feel like, because I've seen it through all of its phases. So we have this hop yard, and that is where we source, you know, 90% of our hops. Um, and we have enough now with our, our hop yard that for their Cascade variety that we can invite other breweries out to come see Harvest One, which is cool because there's not a lot of hop yards in California anymore. There used to be, but no longer. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of brewers, it's a cool experience to actually get to see that too and touch the hops and pick the hops with everybody. Uh, and also access to wet hops, which is um, hard to get. And, and what are wet hops for folks that are watching or listening that don't know? Uh, so hops, typically what you would do with them is you would dry them down to like 8 to 10%, and then you're going to pelletize them often into what they call like T90 pellets. That's making it easier for storage, making it easier for when you're um, putting beer into the tank and the fermenter afterwards because they kind of dissipate, whereas the whole cone, because the hop looks like this, right. um, it, it will get clogged up. So wet hops um, is when you pull, the, or you pull the hop off the vine and you have basically 24, 48 hours to put it in your brew. Otherwise, it starts to break down if you don't do that drying process uh, because of the acids in there will start to break down. So wet hops are a once a year kind of thing. Brewers get them typically overnight shipped to them. But when you're getting them from here, you can actually just take them home with you or we can deliver if you're local. So um, it's a cool experience for brewers to have. I also think personally, we are doing something a little different than a lot of breweries. I mean, there's definitely other farm breweries out there, but in this area, there's not a ton of brewers that are getting their farms from their or their hops from their own farm. And so it's a cool experience for me to be able to like bring other brewers out here to see why my day often seems like ridiculous and crazy when I'm like, oh, I was out of the farm, then the brewery, and then they get to see, you know, it's all kind of coming together and you're getting to see the ingredients. Right. And I would imagine you mentioned farm to table. I would imagine there's something special about that, but also maybe just having the hops that you can then harvest and maybe use quickly. Right? Is that making a, a, a fresh beer? Yeah, that's that's the wet hop beer, the once a year uh, wet hop beer that comes around in like late August, early September. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that it just has a little bit of a different appeal and taste. And I think people that really enjoy beer get excited about it because they know it's this uh, annual thing, mm-hmm. a bit of a treat. But it just kind of it gives off a little bit more of like a fresh, vibrant, a little bit grassy flavor from the hop than if you were to dry it down. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about some of the other uh some of the flavors, right? You've got, and some of the names, you've got Orange Dreamsicle, Boozy Booch, uh, Blueberry Ginger. Are these beers or are these kombuchas? So those are all kombuchas. That's another difference. We have a large kombucha program that also just started when we were home brewing. We were always brewing kombucha. And then because we had this market, which was vegan restaurants, like, of course, we're going to bring in kombucha. Did not realize like quite how big of a market there was going to be for it at the time. Um, So now I would say Probably, you know, uh, a third of our production is kombucha. Oh, wow. Uh, and so um, with those, yeah, there's a bunch of different flavors that we have now. Two are the low, no alcohol ones. And one is an alcoholic uh, kombucha that I just send into a second fermentation. And that one's like a 6% alcohol kombucha. And for folks that don't know, I mean, I think people are learning, but not everybody sure. knows or has tried kombucha. What is kombucha and what is the difference between kombucha and beer yeah um i'll start with beer both are thousands of years old and um and beer has four main ingredients 
typically, obviously there's other things added in, but typically it is barley, which is a wheatgrass. Um, and that's like your malt where you get your sweetness from. And then hops, which is kind of the rock star of beer, but at the same time has been around the least amount of time. Mm. Um, it's good for preserving beer. That's actually how it was first started to be used. But it also has all these great um, acids. Like when you pick up a leaf, the Brax, you can see the lupulin acids in there. Mm -hmm. um, and those um, are the lupulin glands that have the acids that offsets the sweet of a beer. So you don't have just like a, a very sweet uh water there and then you have water which is 90 percent of your beer and yeast which are little microorganisms that without them there would be no beer it'd just be sugar water uh they eat the um sugars and turn it into alcohol and co2 um so that's your beer ingredients uh kombucha is also fermented but it's a fermented tea there's no barley that's why it's gluten-free mm -hmm. um and it's a fermented tea depending on what kind of scoby you have which i'll explain that um <laughs> is uh, either green or black tea, and then you have your sugar base, which ours is organic cane sugar because that's what the SCOBY likes. Oh, um, you're getting organic cane sugar? Yeah. It's not, like, easy to get, is it? Uh, we have a couple good sources now in town. I think it's hopefully becoming a little little easier to get, yeah, but so it can be tricky. Um, and then you have your SCOBY, which is symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast, and that's what turns those sugars, it ferments it, um, and the yeast eats it, turns it into ethanol, alcohol, and then the um, bacteria eats that ethanol and turns it into your different kinds of acids, acetic acid, gluconic, those things. So, yeah. And you're adding other fun ingredients that are locally sourced, like blueberries and oranges. Sure. Or seasonal beers. Yeah, for sure. But the thing we get from our farm is our ginger. So we have fresh ginger and our blueberry ginger and our boozy booge. And then, yeah, some different ingredients from our farm, too, to flavor them. So you're, you're sourcing uh, locally grown produce, but this farm in particular is also considered a regenerative farm. What, what exactly is that? So before when I was saying I loved beer because it's a beautiful blend of science and art, I also always say that I'm lucky because of where I'm at. I also get a bit of activism. That has to do with the regenerative farm aspect. Um, because of working here and knowing Molly and Elias, I've really fallen in love with regenerative farming and it does give a lot of hope for our earth. And it's basically traditional farming practices where you're really trying to build really good soil, nutrient-dense soil, um, and leaving it better than you started with. And so you're constantly trying to put good things back into the earth instead of ripping them out. And by doing that, you're also sequestering carbon, which is huge. You know, we talk about emissions a lot and things like that, but realistically, we need to draw down carbon because we already have too much in the atmosphere, even if we cut all emissions today. And regenerative farming is a really great way of doing that because it's a no-till practices. So you're not, every time you're tilling, when you're reaching into the ground and ripping things up, uh, you're not only releasing carbon out into the atmosphere, but you're also killing all of those microorganisms that live under the ground. And there's like a quarter of, you know, of our biodiversity is underground. And now we are just killing those due to heat and oxygen and things like that. So um, by using practices like no-till and animal integration and cover crops, things like that, then we are protecting that soil or making it really nutrient rich. And because of that, everything you grow, if you think about it, it's like little sponges, you know, everything you grow is also going to be nutrient rich. Right. And we also do not use um, any kind of uh, pesticide kind of thing or any chemical pesticides. So you're not sending your, you know, you're not putting that all over your produce that's going out. So then you're just getting this really nutrient dense, beautiful product. So healthy, healthy beer and healthy kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> and did the, did the name kiss the ground beer, did that come from the regenerative farming? 
Yeah, so Kiss the Ground came from the nonprofit who deals with um, regenerative farmers and uh, soil health and education and getting the um, getting basically lobby dollars into the right hands so that uh, regenerative farmers can get that money that they need. Um, they're doing some really great things. Check them out. Um, uh, Regenerate America is their their newest push for changing some laws around um, regenerative farming. And um, they approached us about doing collaboration. And uh, we, of course, they aligned perfectly with us. I was really excited to do it. And so I took a look at what can we do that will be a yearly beer that we can get uh, year-round ingredients. Um, so citrus for us. There's a lot of citrus at the farm. Uh, and then I wanted to make something. I made a farmhouse ale because that made the most sense. That's like where we're going back to our roots. And traditionally, farmhouse ales were what farm workers would make with things that were actually on their farm for their workers in the summer. So, yeah, my father actually grew up on a farm. Um, and then when he uh, left home, he went to college and went into computer science and I think was trying to get his family off of the farm for a different kind of life and moved out of Ohio uh, and uh, I think he wanted me to go into something like business. Instead, I chose film, much to his chagrin, but hilariously ended up back on a farm a lot of the time. Um, but it's been really fun to reconnect with him about that and talking about, you know, the practices that they were using versus what we are using. And um, But, yeah, I think that it's definitely a strong connection to me. I always had um, a connection to farming and wanting to learn more and have, be more connected to my food and beverage. And this has been a really incredible way to learn about it. It's awesome. So just out of curiosity, what is it like being a, a, a woman brewmaker in a kind of a traditionally male-dominated world? Uh, I mean, everybody has their own experience. And certainly there's been some hardships of, you know, feeling like I'm not being taken seriously a lot in the beginning. Um, but also, I, I mean, I think that I've had a really incredible community because there's not a lot of women brewers or women in the brew industry in general. We band together pretty strongly. Right. And so L.A. has a pretty incredible community of women. And I'm, I'm heavily involved with some nonprofits that work with um, women and non-binary individuals in um, the fermentable space, Pink Boots, uh, notably. And um, so I think I've had a relatively good experience because I've had such strong allies and also, in general, across the board, the L.A. beer scene has been really incredible uh, to work with. And everybody is just so excitable and open to ideas and open to talking to everybody about how, what their process is like. I think everybody still feels like we're fighting big beer, so you're not my competition, even though you're two doors away, you know, and all craft beer rises together. So, right. yeah. Cool. And what's the future of, of Sage Brews? Do you see yourself expanding into other markets? I know you're kind of heading to Texas, too. Yeah, so we have a big project coming up there. Molly and Elise bought 200 acres um, in Hill Country, and so we are opening a destination brewery, uh, a restaurant, a farm restaurant, and a hospitality stay, which will have, I think, enough places for about 80 people to stay so we can have big events there, weddings, whatnot. Um, that part is really exciting to me, and I think one of the biggest reasons for that is it's like a blank slate. And when I think about, you know, brewing and the opportunities that I've had here and the uniqueness of our brewery and working with this farm, I think one of the most exciting things to me is that I, th I, I like to think about, like, what the earth can give to us to make beer instead of vice versa. And, and the, I know there's lots of, like, rules and um, traditions in brewing, and I respect them. But the more education I get, the more I learn about farming, the more I can learn about those ingredients, how to manipulate them to also work for the earth and what kind of rules can we break to still have 
really great beer, but we're also making it uh, in a way that's less harmful, more sustainable. And so with Texas, like I recently had this one, I was incredibly inspired and I called Molly the next day and I'm like, can we grow Kernza? How well does it grow in Texas? And what uh, is that? What is Kernza? Okay, it's, um, uh, it's a grain that has these incredibly long roots and it's a perennial. So it stays in the ground. So it continues to keep trapping carbon, keep trapping carbon. There is... Um, um, a, a brewery that works with Patagonia that does uh, partial currents of beer now. And I'm sure there's other places out there. I think it's starting to pop up. But in my mind, we have this new blank slate. So we can kind of look at, we don't have a menu set already. So what works for us? What can we grow and close the gap as much as we can? Keep it on the farm as much as we can when it comes to growing, brewing, and selling so that our footprint is a lot smaller. And also we're working with ingredients that are not going to harm the earth. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And so I didn't talk about Sage Frusta. Um, so our L.A. market, uh, we are expanding a little bit outside of ourselves um, and uh, outside of the restaurants. Like I said, we got picked up by distribution. So we are in talks with some places now like Whole Foods and Total Wine um, and a couple of things like that that I'm really excited. They have good initiatives when it comes to women owned, women brewed and regenerative agriculture, which is really exciting to hear that there are some places out there that really care about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get in there and, um, very cool. And, and, and for folks that, you know, don't live close to the restaurants, sure. but are listening or watching, how could they try some of your products? Is there a website that they can visit? Right now, we're not going direct to customer, um, but we do hope in the future we will. I think once we get things sorted out with our distribution here, hopefully, um, and if you're in town, please come to Sage. We've got um, an Echo Park restaurant and a Pasadena restaurant, and we're opening a new bar Saturday in our Echo Park restaurant. It serves both farm fresh cocktails and all of our beers. Where are the restaurants specifically? So we have two in Los Angeles, two brick and mortars in Los Angeles. We have Echo Park. Um, and that's where we're opening our new bar, Table 16, and uh, also has a full restaurant. And then Pasadena, we also have a restaurant. And you can also visit our website, which is uh, sageveganbistro.com, to check out what we're doing. And we will be putting up availability if we start to get into some places like Whole Foods and Total Wine, stuff like that. Awesome. So you went from film into beer, I mean, two totally separate industries. And, you know, you didn't go to college to be a, be- a brewmaster. So you're kind of jumping in, but you have this determination and just this drive. So how was that? I mean, you didn't have the education, but you had the, had the will. Yeah, it certainly presented um, a slew of challenges and still does. Uh, it was just a really large knowledge gap. And I think in some ways that was good. Um, I get easily bored. So when there is endless to learn and I will never master it by any means, I think that's good. That keeps me engaged constantly. Uh, I do not recommend going straight into owning a brewery after only having home brewed. Go work at a brewery on somebody else's dime, make those mistakes, learn a little bit, and then go back because I knew nothing from the start. And had, it took us a lot longer, I think, to take off because of all of these um, little knowledge gaps that we had. Um, but because of it, you know, I have a really strong sense of ownership and it's been um, it's been a pretty incredible journey. Overall, in general, I would say the biggest challenge for me has been... Um, coming to terms with how to deal with like when you are running a small business, this constant oscillation of the highest highs you've ever had where you're like, oh my God, I could do anything. Do you need a boat? I'll build you a boat. And then the next day being like, oh, I am so underwater. I literally don't know how I'm going to get out of this physically, mentally. 
uh, emotionally, <laughs> anything like that. And knowing that those like the pendulum will swing back and you will be fine. There's just going to be a lot of ups and downs and you have to kind of keep an even keel attitude through it all. Not that I do, but I try. And determination and just knowing that you're going to achieve it however you need to. Yeah. And I would think that you went from the the one gallon, you know, garage to the friend with five gallon. And now all of a sudden you're making these giant, is it steel? I mean, a giant steel drums of beer. I mean, it's kind of a. Yeah. A big leap as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and that friend too, which he actually helped, you know, um, he's still at, at the restaurants. He's doing more management side stuff now, but was also there in the beginning while we were trying to figure it out together. And um, yeah, we went from his five gallon batch uh, to we actually had like a one barrel system. We were brewing on the first year because of permitting stuff. So that was fun. We were brewing, you know, near daily on that system. And then now we are on basically an eight barrel system, um, which is about 300 gallons. Per per day? No, not per day. Okay. Uh, probably we're brewing about once a week now, okay. but there's lots to be done in between, between packaging, cellaring, cleaning, lots of cleaning. Being a brewer is being a janitor that also gets to drink some beer. So is, is Sage Brews getting recognized? Have you won any any awards? Yeah, I'm just starting now to apply for those competitions and things like that. Um, I just never could find the bandwidth before, but I do know it's important. We also, because we make such interesting, adventurous beers, they don't always fit into a traditional category. Mm-hmm. Now there's more categories for experimental stuff. Um, so I did just apply for our first one, and I just got a notification that we won some sort of award um, at uh California State Fair has a really great beer festival of all places, uh, and we sent in our hard kombucha, the Boozy Booch. Awesome. And what are you finding that people like? I mean, you're experimenting, right? You're using locally sourced products. You're using blueberries and oranges and ginger. I mean, what 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 are kind of the flavors that are kind of the traditional that people like, but others that maybe you're finding out that you tried that you you know you didn't know if it was going to take off or not, and then all of a sudden people just kind of Kind of loved it. Yeah, I think I'm actually always surprised by what people are liking. I mean, you have your standards that you know people are going to drink. And also because we're a restaurant, we get a lot of the lighter lighter beers order. Because if you're having a meal, you know, you want like a lager or a Pilsner. We noticed that when we went to packaged goods as far as cans. We started canning during the pandemic. We got a canning line. And all of a sudden, like more IPAs are getting ordered because that's what people are drinking at home by themselves um, instead of uh, out at dinner when they want something light to go with their meal. Uh, and I think people generally enjoy the seasonals. Our strawberry blonde was uh, one of our best sellers that really that came out of the way a lot of our seasonals come about, I should say, is I'll come out here. Molly will say I have a bumper crop of this. And I'm like, I don't want that to go to waste. And so then uh, I'll make a beer out of it or a kombucha. With that, they had strawberries that it was a really weird year weather-wise. And so they looked a little funky. Mm -hmm. And not to go off on a tangent, but we do have a problem in our society about people and imperfect fruit. Oh, yeah. I'm guilty myself. (laughs) You know, to the bananas, you know, it's like. Yeah. And I think that uh, we are starting to get a little better to that and opening our eyes to that. But the really great thing about beer is it doesn't matter. You're not going to see it. So. Those strawberries tasted great, but they were a little misshapen, and she wanted to use them for something other than putting in the CSA boxes. So we made a strawberry blonde out of that, uh, strawberry with a little bit of basil, and that was um, that was one of our more popular ones. I think it's really accessible, an accessible wheat beer. And how does that work? I mean, you get a giant crate of strawberries, and somebody's there just kind of manually cutting off all the stems? Yeah. Right? And then do you 
smash the strawberries? Do you add them to the vat whole? How does how do you add a a fruit to beer? Depends on what kind of fruit it is. Strawberries, yeah, we're chopping the stems, blending them up. Oftentimes we'll freeze stuff because you want to make sure you're um, getting rid of anything that's growing on it so it doesn't grow in your beer, uh, any kind of bacteria or yeast or anything. Um, or we will do a, um, a hot side where we are putting it in boiling water, boiling it for a few minutes, and then we generally add them in secondary fermentation, which is after you know, your beer, the, the alcohol has been made and your beer is um, nearly ready to go. You add that in and get some flavor from that in your fermenter. And you would do kind of the same process for oranges or blueberries or yes, similar-ish oranges. We usually use the peel a lot. Uh, and that's a really cool thing about the Kiss the Ground beer, I'll say. We take our lemons and oranges from the farm. We juice them. We use those juices for the restaurant. And then I take the peels. I char the lemon peels. And then we put them in um, the boil with some lemon verbena. And for me, that's such a huge win because you're getting double use out of an ingredient before it goes back to compost. So anytime I can do that, I'm happy. Very cool. So yeah, I think and and I've always been I've always rooted for the underdog kind of thing and always I think out of empathy, like when I was a kid, I used to make my mom buy the crushed cans at the grocery store because I felt bad for them that they were going to go to waste. I don't know why I've always been like pushing anamorphic qualities onto, you know, cans of whatever. Didn't really think about botulism and things like that when I was a kid. But I think in that I've always, you know, had some sort of empathy for waste and then I still was very disconnected from food and still until I was working here and food and beverage, you know, beer is an agricultural product and we don't really always think of it that way. But now when I am seeing a hop grow, like uh, when one falls on the ground at work and we can't use it, I'm very sad (laughs) because like I know that this took so much time and effort to get from here to there. And we have one of the smallest footprints and gaps uh, in a lot of places um, as far as ingredients go. But still, I know all the love and care that it went into it. So I think that's just made me hopefully more passionate and I still have a world to learn. But I think it's a really important um, connection to your food and food waste because it is a really big problem that we have in this country. Absolutely. And, you know, funny, it's total sidebar, but my son is a Boy Scout and the first badge, merit badge that he got was the gardening badge. And you need 21 badges to become an Eagle Scout. And he's just a very passionate gardener. So part of the badge was to start your own compost bin. And so we got the big compost bin and all of our green waste goes in that bin. And the soil is amazing. And it's like, wow, it just came from like banana peels and lettuce and just all the green waste. And now it's like all of the worms found, somehow found this tub with, you know, terrible soil all around it. But it's like the little, the little garden of Eden right in the backyard. And so it's like all that. All the animals come to that, come to that spot. They know where to go. It's gratifying, right? And then we have we have same with the restaurants in here. And uh, I think Molly talked about this. Like that's one of the reasons she started the or got the farm was because of all the food waste from the restaurants. And same with brewing. We collect all the spent grain that after brewing, collect it, take it back here, and feed it to the animals. They love it. We also pick up from another. Um, 10 breweries in town or something, all of their grains so that it's not going to waste and it's not going into the landfill and creating methane. Instead, it's going to our farm and either becoming compost or it's feeding the animals and then their their waste will become compost. And that's where the whole regenerative yes. thing comes in because you're replenishing the soil. Replenishing the soil and fully cyclical and trying to waste as little as possible, just putting it back into the ground. Awesome. So Kim Rice, thank you so much for being our guest on this 
episode of Farm Talk. We've loved having you and learning from you. It's been awesome. And I think that our our listeners and watchers will uh, love learning from you as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. What a pleasure. Absolutely. And of course, we want to thank our sponsor, Opus Escrow. And be sure to tune in next time for another edition of Farm Talk. Farm Talk.